This is This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, Episode 6 for the week of August 3rd through the 9th. Catching up with a former lefty. This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball is brought to you by Fansided.com, the sports network where diehard fans dish out nonstop sports news and views. Coming up in episode number six, former Detroit Tigers starting pitcher Mike Moroth joins us to talk about his current rehab, the time he spent in Detroit, and what he's up to these days in Orlando. The Tigers had a tough road trip, losing two out of three to the Cleveland Indians. We are joined by new panelist Sean Hybor, TroubleInMichigan.com, and Al Beaton of the Wayne Fonts Experience at WayneFonts.com this week, alongside vet Greg Eno to talk about the trade deadline, the upcoming Baltimore series, and the loss of Joel Zamaya for the season. If you're on your golf cart, throw on your seatbelt because we're coming into your headphones in full force. It's this week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, Episode 6, and it starts now. Got it, strike three. See you later. Look out, Freddie Dulcie. Wow. Uh-oh, high drive into left field. This ball is hit well, way back. Luciano will watch it fly. It's gone. For second, the 1-0. Swinging a fly ball. Wow. Left field is wow. deep. It's way back. The Tigers are going to the World Series! Bringing the best Detroit Tigers bloggers together to talk about our team. Sponsored by MotorCityBingles.com. It's This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, and it starts now. Welcome back to another edition of This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. I am your host, Joe Dexter. For the Detroit Tigers, this week in play is very critical to the season. Detroit has a two-game lead in the AL Central, but dropped two out of three this weekend in Cleveland. Starting pitcher Armando Galarraga struggled on Sunday, with the Tigers having a chance to clinch to take two out of three but Galarraga gave up eight runs in five and two-thirds innings. If there was anything good that came out of that tough loss to the Indians to wrap up the series, it was that the bullpen got some much-deserved rest. Galarraga talks about his disappointing start in Cleveland. I got a bowls in the corners, you know. Again, you know, a couple of rumbles in the corner and a couple, couple guys that be behind behind the guys. and I want to be behind, I have to throw a strike. And I know I had the better luck. And that was tough for me. Tough game. If there is anything that has been proven about the 2009 season, it's that the Tigers play much better at home so far this year. Tigers first baseman Miguel Cabrera points out that with the recent road struggles, it is key for the Tigers to win at home, especially in the current series with the Baltimore Orioles. It's, it's very important, you know. You got to go, go away home and try and um, win series and win the most game we can. So. We got to go ahead and try and go relax and try and do our job. With Justin Verlander on the mound for game number one, it seemed like a sure lock that the Tigers would beat the Orioles. But the Orioles jumped on Verlander for five runs in the first inning. But the Tigers would respond in the bottom half of the first, adding three runs. Starting pitcher Justin Verlander says that the Tigers' three-run first inning gave him confidence after he gave up the five to the Orioles in the first. You know, those guys answered right back. They didn't, uh, you know, throw their hats up and say, oh, no, here we go. They bared down and, and, and got some big hits in that first and got us three runs, which got us right back in the game immediately. And then, uh, you know, from there it was just, you know, I, I told myself, keep us in this game, we're going to win it. And uh, I was able to do that. Justin Verlander did his part to keep the team in the game, but it was Cleet Thomas who hit the walk-off home run in the ninth. He talks about what it's like to hit his very first walk-off home run. Uh, it's it's more than I'd ever dreamed. You know, it's it's it's, it's awesome. It's right up there with you know having your first hit or, or or anything like that in the big leagues. It, it's awesome. 
Cleet Thomas credits his walk-off home run to just being relaxed out there and playing the game of baseball. Detroit Tigers manager Jim Leland says the rest of the team needs to just relax and play baseball and let the media talk about the pennant race. You just grind it out each day. Try to win as many as you can and see where we end up when the season's over. That, that's what you do. You can't. We, I talked to him today about it. and Let them have their fun with the pennant race, and there's going to be the normal comments. And But you, 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 you get caught up in that, then, then you're not concentrating on what you really should be concentrating on. The Tigers will continue to concentrate on those pesky Baltimore Orioles four-game series. Game number two gets underway tonight at 7.05. Jared Washburn makes his debut against Brian Matus of the Baltimore Orioles. Coming up a little bit later in the program, we'll be joined by some new panelists, Sean Hybor of TrumbleInMichigan.com and also Al Beaton of the Wayne Fonts Experience at WayneFonts.com. Greg Eno will also join us at GregEno.com to talk about the latest in Detroit Tigers action. When we come back, former Detroit Tigers lefty Mike Moroth will join us to talk about his current rehab and his journey back to the major leagues. That's coming up next on This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. All-star fans, all-star content. Fansided.com is a sports network where diehard fans dish out non-stop sports news and views. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! Fandom has no off-season, and neither do we. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. Fansided.com, the number one pro sports blog network on the internet. Strike call, got him looking. Nevin is out of there. One away as Mike Moroth strikes him out. Uh oh. Got the pickoff working here. Mike Moroth is pretty good at that. That's the 28th pickoff he has in the big leagues in the last five years. Uh oh. Slash that one into left. It's a base hit. Here comes Monroe rounding third. He'll score. Mike Moroth with an RBI single in the Tigers' lead. Welcome back to This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. Here's your host, Joe Dexter. We are now joined by Mike Moroth. Mike, thank you for joining us. How's it going today? Uh, it's going pretty good. Let's get started right with your current rehab. You had an opportunity with the Toronto Blue Jays in spring training. It ended quickly when you suffered a season-ending knee injury just two days into spring workouts. In April, you had surgery to repair that ligament. How's the rehab going, and what stage are you currently at in that rehab? Uh, well, it's good. Uh, I'm actually been I've been cleared to play for a while now. Um, it was a very minor surgery, if you want to call any surgery minor. But uh, if you had to pick one, this would probably have been it. You know, the rehab was about six to seven weeks, is about how long it took took me to come back. Uh, it's been frustrating just because uh, you know I've been waiting to to try and pick, get picked up by a team, and, and it hasn't happened. There hasn't been too many uh, teams interested, so it's been frustrating. And so at this point, I've kind of uh, taken a step back and I'm um, kind of looking at uh, winter ball, playing winter ball somewhere. Because uh, at this point, it's so late in the season, it'd be really hard to get get picked up for sure now. So I got my uh, my eyes set on winter ball next season. Well, talking about winter ball and all the struggles you've had currently, when you look at what's going on, and anybody who's seen you pitch and been lucky to do that, they know that you're a big family guy. How big has it to be back home in Orlando and be with your wife, Brooke, and the family and have your faith in your life during your current rehab and throughout your career? What's it meant to you? Well, it's meant a lot. You know, if I had to pick a time in my career where I wanted to be home and not playing baseball during the season, uh, it would have been this time for the reason that uh, we had our third child, our little girl, in March. And, uh, you know, our first two 
two boys we had we had in the off season. So we did a pretty good job of planning for it. So we had the whole off season, uh, you know, the first several months together. And, uh, you know, this, this time around, uh, the planning wasn't, wasn't the same, you know, so she was born on March 12th and I didn't get to see her too much in spring training. You know, luckily I was only, you know, a couple hours away over in Dunedin for spring training. So I was at least able to, to see her on a regular basis, but we knew going into the season, it was going to be different. We planned on all of April, basically being apart and not being able to see her. And that would have been, been one of the toughest things ever, but, uh, you know, fortunately I was able to, to be here. So if I had to pick a time when, when I wasn't playing, uh, it would have been this, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed just being here just like the first two to, to be able to spend every day just nurturing and, and, and loving on, on the, you know, the little baby, uh, you know, she's five months now, or almost five months and she's great, you know, loved it. She's been easy. And uh, so I've really been blessed just to be able to spend uh, this much time with her. Sometimes things just happen for a reason, don't they, Mike? They, they do, you know, they really do. And, uh, you know, that they, they always happen for a reason. And I try not to, uh, to, to regret anything that, that happens because we know that it's, it's ultimately for our good. Let's go back to June 14th, 2002. The Tigers are in Arizona and a little-known lefty named Mike Maroth is making his second start in a Tigers uniform. You go eight innings, picking up your first win and your first hit against Kurt Schilling. Take us back to that moment. That must have really put some perspective in what was happening in your career at that point. Oh, yeah. It's hard to believe that you know it's, it was over seven years ago, but I can remember like it was, it was last year. You know, it was my second start in the big leagues, and uh, going to to Arizona. I can remember going into uh, to the game. I, I showed up to the field, and I guess I was supposed to be there for batting practice. I guess the pitcher in interleague would take batting practice on the day he pitched. He'd go out there and, and get a few swings in to, to loosen up. I knew nothing about that, so <laughs> I didn't. You know, I showed up after the fact. So I can remember uh, guys telling me, "Yeah, you didn't. You didn't go out there and hit." It's like. You know, I was supposed to, you know, obviously uh, everything was so new, you know, but uh, it was a year after uh, Arizona won the World Series and uh, Kurt Schilling pitching. And, and I can remember being in the box and, and it had been since high school that I've actually, you know, been in the box against somebody. So I, I figured I'd go up there and, and not even be able to see the ball go by me and make an absolute fool of myself. But uh, after that first about, even though I struck out, I knew that, that I was able to see it better than I thought. So I was like, you know what, I, I might have a shot at actually making contact. And uh, that next, next at bat, you know, I knew I was going to get a fastball, and I kind of had an idea what the timing was for it. So uh, that first pitch, I basically just kind of got the timing, and I was able to make good contact and hit the ball up the middle for a base hit. That was a, a pretty big moment, especially off of, you know, Kurt Schilling, uh, you know, with the, the career he's had and, and just the, what he's done in the game. Uh, but then also to, uh, to pitch as well as I did, and get that first win. I mean, so much happened that game that, you know, that was a, a big moment, you know, a second start and get that first win. You know, some guys go a long time without getting a win. And uh, for me to be able to do it the second time out was just, just definitely a confidence builder. Uh, just, you know, really kind of set me up for my next start and the one after that. And just because when you make it to the big leagues, you have to prove to yourself that you're able to, to pitch there, that you're ready for it. And, you know, that was one way getting that first win and pitching well in my first two starts, knowing that, uh, that I could do it and I uh, was capable of it, and, and it kind of set up for uh, the rest of that year. Well, in 2003, the Tigers made you a full-time starter in the rotation, and you're joined by two other young starters who start to rehab as well, Nate Robertson and Jeremy Bonderman. Coming up with these guys and finally making it to the big leagues, did you guys form any special bond of any type? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, obviously with, with Bondo, he, uh, 
it was his first year and it, it, I was considered the veteran of the staff and, <laughs> and I had only had that, you know, four months in before, prior to that because we were so young. But, you know, spending the time there and, and, and you spend a lot of time together as starters, uh, whether it's on the road going to eat or if it's, uh, you know, you, you, you're on the outfield shagging balls during batting practice or you're throwing sides, playing catch, whatever it might be. You spend a lot of time with the other starters. And uh, to be able to spend that much time, you know, with Bondo and even Nate, um, you know, we, we definitely built a bond, um, you know, throughout that, that first and second year that uh, kind of set up for, you know, the many years to come after. Moving on to 2004, there's some pretty good moments for you. In July 16th, you throw a one-hit shutout against the very hot Yankees team at Comerica Park. Your only hit was against Gary Sheffield in the fourth inning. Are there any other pitching performances in your career that stick out more than this one? No way. There's no way. Uh, that was definitely a huge moment for me. You know, Not only just to, to throw a, a one-hitter, but uh, to be able to do it against the New York Yankees, do it at home. Uh, there was a lot of great moments in there, and uh, definitely a moment I won't forget. And what's funny about that is Nolan, my oldest, for some reason likes to pull out. I got a, a copy of it on on DVD, and he just watched it the other day. And so when I see it, it just takes me back to it. It's just like wow, you know. I, every time I see it, I I just think wow. Just being able to have that perspective of actually watching it, you know, because I knew what it was like to experience, but it gives you a different perspective watching it. And, that's all I can say. Every time I watch it, I don't know how many times I've watched it. You know, he's he's watched it over and over, and it's definitely a game that uh, that I won't forget. It's probably one of the biggest games that I've pitched in my career. In your time in Detroit, was there one person when you look back at it that had the biggest influence on how you pitched and helped you become a more rounded pitcher and person? Uh, well, definitely Bob Cluck. You know, Clucky was a guy that where I was being so young and in 2003 and, and four, and he just he just helped me just kind of not only be able to pitch you know, physically be able to pitch, but really helped me mentally. He always was positive and, you know, he, he believed in me and just knowing that, that he stood behind me every time I took the mound, no matter what happened. And, uh, you know, you could tell that he just, you know, he really wanted me to succeed and I could tell. And uh, it was, you know, through his actions and his words that you could tell he really cared. And uh, that really made an impact on me. It really gave me the confidence that I needed mentally because, you know, at the big league level, everybody's got the physical ability. It's it's more the mental part of the game comes into play so much more, especially when you hit rough rough goes. And you know, 2003 is as tough as it was. He stood there right beside me, and and I never felt like I was alone. Any moment during that year, he was always right there, taking my side, sticking up for me, and and helping me get through the year. As fans, sometimes we forget about the emotional aspect of playing this game. Besides a few years in Boston in the minor league system, you had been a Tiger for your whole career up to 2007. How hard was it to pack up your bags and move on to St. Louis? How hard? Well, it's, it's still hard, put it that way. <laughs> I tell you, I mean, you know, you, I was fortunate enough to spend that much time uh, at the big league level with, with a team. And, you know, you don't see that too much uh, nowadays. And, and my wife and I always called Detroit our second home because we felt felt like it was a home. You know, we, we the fans were great. Uh, we loved it and loved our time there. And, you know, and, and it was crazy, you know, going to, to St. Louis. And it was just, it was different. It was different. You know, St. Louis is a great town, it's a great sports town, just like Detroit. And in many ways, they're very similar. But it just didn't have the same feel. It really didn't. You know, we definitely still miss Detroit to this day. Well, Mike, you got to play with Tony La Russa. You also played for Jim Leland and Alan Trammell. Now, Alan Trammell is one of the most respected bench coaches in the game. Can you share a bit what it's like playing for him? 
Well, Tran was a guy, if you grew up a, a Tiger fan, you knew, and you watched him play. Uh, he was just one of the, those guys that you always rooted for. He's, he was such a great guy as a player, and same thing as a manager. For him, you know, being, being a guy who was his first time managing, he was a guy that uh, I enjoyed playing for. Um, he was, I mean, he was just so nice. Sometimes I think that might have worked against him a little bit, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, you don't have enough, there's not, you can't have too many, you know, nice guys out there. And, and he was a guy that, uh, that you respected for what he did as a player. You respect him as a manager and, you know, the, the whole staff, you know, the guys he had around him. I mean, just, it was, it was great to be able to play for those guys and, and just what they did, not only, you know, as, as baseball players, but as Tigers, you know, uh, with, with, uh, you know, Lance and, and with, with Gibby. I mean, just, it was awesome to be a bar, part of that. Speaking of moving, you've now settled in down in the Orlando area, as mentioned before. From what I hear, you're offering some instructional programs on the art of pitching. I imagine that it can be a lot of fun teaching the new generation the game of baseball, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is. And I, you know, I did it you know, early in my career, and I even did it in college. I started uh, doing it as early as college. And uh, you know, I've been home for so long. I had the shoulder, shoulder surgery last year. I spent a lot of time at home the past few years, and start start feeling you know kind of unproductive and I, I just told myself you know what I need to do something and uh, I wanted to be able to help you know young kids in the area I figured hey, well that's a good way of getting out of the house and be able to help you know young players play and, and teach them what I know and uh, you know it's been fun um, you know I've got a few guys a few high school guys and even younger guys but just to be able to watch them progress uh, you know with their mechanics and, and just learning the game you know I you just see a lot of guys nowadays don't that don't get the proper instruction, and uh, so I try and use my my uh, my experience and my expertise in the game to, to to be able to help younger kids, and it's been fun. It's given me something to do, and uh, I feel like I'm being productive and uh, you know making an impact for the younger guys. Well, Mike, thank you for joining me. We look forward to seeing you in a major league uniform as soon as possible. I'm definitely in your corner, rooting you on, and thanks for all the hard work and dedication you gave to the city of Detroit throughout the years you were here. And keep on believing. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I, I love doing it for the fans. Like I said, the fans were, were unbelievable to me and my family. So uh, we'll, we'll never forget the fans. We'll always have a special place in our heart. Mike Morov, kind enough to join us on this week in Detroit Tigers baseball. When we come back, we'll continue to talk Detroit Tigers baseball with our panelists. Joining us this week as two new members to the panel, as well as a seasoned vet. Joining us this week is Sean Hybor of TrumbleInMichigan.com. Also joining us is Al Beaton of WayneFonts.com. And the seasoned vet, as always, Greg Eno of GregEno.com. Stay tuned. More coming up next. We're proud to be standing there like a house on the side of the road, and we cheer when your tiger hits it long gone. MotorCityBengals.com, part of the Fansided Network at Fansided.com. Want the best spin on sports, pop culture, and just about everything else? Put your name on it. That's all I say. Be a man or a woman. Put your name on it. All right, all right. Calm down, Herm. It's the Fan Addict with Adam Best, the senior editor at Fansided.com. On the Fan Addict, Adam will cover the best of times. Roger Clemens is coming back. Oh, my good goodness gracious. He'll cover the worst of times. It's my team. It's my quarterback. If you guys do that, man, it's unfair. Whether it's unfair or not, Adam Best is there for the downright weird. 
Favre. And now, whoa, what happened here? The fan came out. It's the Burger King guy. What is going on? The Burger King guy? Is that the best you got? You need to check out this senior editor's spin on sports, pop culture, and just about everything else. It's the Fan Attic on fansided.com. Welcome back to This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. Here's your host, Joe Dexter. Welcome back to This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. We are now joined by a great list of panelists, starting with the newcomers, Sean Hybor of TrumbleInMichigan.com. Hey, Sean, how's it going? Yeah, I'm good. Doing good. How you doing? Doing great. Also joined by Al Beaton of the Wayne Fonts Experience at WayneFonts.com. Al, how's it going tonight? It's a pleasure, and it's a thrill not to talk Lions. <laughs> That's for sure. And now the seasoned vet, Greg Eno of GregEno.com. Greg, big win tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and thanks once again for having me on, Joe. I appreciate it. No problem. My pleasure. Well, let's get right into the talk, the big talk, the deadline talk. We were all hoping for a bad, but Jared Washburn is acquired at the deadline and at 23 seconds left on the clock, the White Sox got Jake Peavy. Orlando Cabrera goes to the Twins. Let's evaluate the Washburn trade. We'll start with Sean. What did you think of that trade? Well, I think right now it's 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 very hard to see how this is going to benefit us. Right now, I think it was it was a, a good trade for us, but not by much because Washburn has never been a guy that I've really really liked. Um, I think right now he he'll bring a lot of grit and a lot of experience to the Tigers, and if nothing else, he'll you know, help Rick Porcello maybe the way Kenny Rogers did a few years ago. But I really think we're going to have to wait and see a couple of years uh, how Luke French pans out before we really know if, if we made the right deal. And what was your thoughts on the trade for Washburn? I know you really wanted a bat. Oh, God, did I want a bat. I've been, I've been uh, hammering on getting, them getting a bat for two months now. But uh, at the very least, they, they did get a, uh, I would call a, a probably he's better than average. He's pitching above his head. This is your classic uh, Seattle is selling high on Washburn right now. He's been an okay pitcher, a decent pitcher, but uh, a guy with a two six four ERA is he's out of his realm right now. But if he can come in and pull a Doyle Alexander uh, circa nineteen eighty seven, that's all well and good. And I'm not even going to worry about uh, how French is going to do or the um, the rookie out of single A ball because. Uh, you know, th- this is a trade the Tigers had to do, had to make. This is something they had to do. They needed to move Porcello down in the rotation. They needed to also do the same with Galarraga, who was consistently inconsistent. So, you know, considering if Washburn is pitching the way he does now, it's a great trade. The question being, can he continue to pitch at this level? That will remain to be seen. Well, Greg, you got me on the Adam Dunn bandwagon, and that could still happen. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But what are your thoughts on Washburn? you think this is a guy that's going to help? The biggest the most important number when you're talking about Jared Washburn is the reverse of the number he's going to wear for the Tigers, 35. That's his age or it's going to soon be his age. There's nothing that can really substitute for that kind of experience in a pen race situation. Um, I, I look at it very simply. Who are, do you feel more comfortable with in, in the uh, rotation at this point? Rookie Luke French or the veteran Jared Washburn? And I think that when you're going to important games in August, August and September, when the pressure's on, uh, I feel a whole lot better having a guy who's, forget his career record, forget what he's doing now, but that experience of, of having been there before with the Angels, uh, just being in the league, 
And, this, and another good point somebody else raised in the media was that this is not a guy coming over from the National League. This is a guy from the American League who knows the hitters, been in the American League all his career. And that kind of experience you can't really replicate with a, a young kid like Luke French. I mean, it's, you know, you can get a Luke French maybe to come in and, and, and maybe uh, capture some lightning for a few starts, but when push comes to shove, you, you got to have those experienced guys in the rotation because they can kind of settle everybody else down. Plus, I like the idea of putting him right in the middle between uh, Verlander and Jackson, which you probably wouldn't do with Luke French. Yeah, Washburn gives you that option to do as well, especially being left-handed. It really mixes up the top three. Well, a pitcher that was acquired by a rival, the White Sox, Jake Peavy, he won't be ready to pitch probably until early September. And, Sean, we look at Peavy. He's had real good success with San Diego, but is he really a threat for the White Sox going down the stretch, you think? You know, I've been I've been thinking about it lately, and really I don't think so because when you look at it, if he, even if he does come back in early September, it, it, there's no guarantee that he's going to be Jake Peavy. I mean, he's coming back um, – and he hasn't pitched in a while. And even if he comes back early September, he's not going to make more than seven or eight starts. Um, and so I would, I mean, when I think about the Washburn deal, I feel much better about acquiring Washburn um, for two whole months than, you know, the White Sox getting JPV for a month at, at best. Um, it, I, I really think we won in terms of that. I mean, next year we might have to worry about JPV, but this year I, I'm not concerned. Yeah, Jake Peavy, it will be interesting. He goes into a smaller ballpark. Do you think that'll have an effect, Al, going into the AL Central? He's going to face a little bit less of an offensive talented division. Is that going to help him or hinder him playing with the White Sox? Uh, It kind of remains to be seen, but I tend to think that the stats he put up in the NL were put up in what we all know is a junior varsity league. So, you know, Peavy did put up some good numbers in the NL. It remains to be seen what he can do in the American League. And yes, the uh, teams like the Tigers are down offensively, but look what even the down teams, uh, you know, they have you know below average offenses. Look what they did against NL teams, you know, during uh, interleague play. So, and they did quite well, obviously. So, uh, at my first, at first plus, I thought that when I heard the Sox got PV was crap. But the more I thought about it, the more like one, he's like uh, Sean said, he's not coming back till September. Two. He's an NL pitcher coming to an A, coming to the AL, which is a better league. And three, the guy hasn't pitched in so long. Who knows what he's going to have? I really think, if anything, this is going to help the White Sox next year. This year, I don't think not so much. Greg, the the White Sox add Peavy, and they have a great pitcher in Mark Burley, who is strong right now. Who do you think has a better top end of the rotation currently in the division? Is it the Detroit Tigers or is it the Chicago White Sox? Well, you know, I. The thing about um, the Tigers right now is that uh, their pitchers have to pitch uh, the game of, of their lives every time they go out in the mound. I mean, there's so much pressure on these guys to go out there and uh, and just and shut the other team down entirely. Now, tonight, as we tape this program, uh, Justin Verlander, you know, made the start and gave up five runs in the first inning and then shut her down the rest of the way because he had to because that's what he has to do. And uh, Rick Porcell pitched his heart out on Saturday night and, and, and got nothing for it in terms of a win. Uh, in terms of a win, Tigers won the game in, in extra innings. But these guys have to go out there and perform every single time. The White Sox starters, uh, you know, with the offense that they have, if you saw what, what they did to the Yankees over the weekend, 
you know, they, they're getting 14, 10, 11, 14 runs a game against the Yankees. So, you know, <laughs> there's a lot more pressure on the Tigers. I don't know if that makes them better, but it makes them having to have to go out there and, and, and keep these uh, the other teams to three or r- runs or less, or else we're not going to win. Talking about that start from Justin Verlander tonight, and I want to get your opinion on this, Greg. Earlier in his career, maybe even earlier this year, that was a situation where Justin Verlander might have got flustered after the first the first inning and then not come back and respond. Does that show a bit of maturity on his part, considering that he was able to bounce back and keep the Tigers in the ballgame? You know, this is all part of that whole thing that I wrote about earlier in the year about how he his mindset is is, is reminding me of a Jack Morris, a Bob Gibson, those kind of guys who were just flat out angry, just just detested hitters. And when somebody like Verlander gets five runs scored on in the first inning like he did tonight, uh, he, these kind of guys take that personally. And and he just he took it personally. And he didn't get flustered, and you're absolutely right. That, that is a, a sign of maturity. It's also a sign of this new persona he's kind of adopted, which I think he's really embraced, which is that mean, nasty guy. I, I, I've seen him in the past on the days where he was going to pitch, and you, you wouldn't know that he was going to be pitching that day because he was loose and joking and laughing. Now he's got this persona that, that he's like a bear, like Gibson used to be in the days that he pitched. Nobody dared to come next to Bob Gibson on the days that he pitched. Verlander's got that kind of mentality right now, and he takes that personally. You score five runs on him, and you don't get him out of the game in the second or third inning, you're in trouble, and that's what happened to the Orioles tonight. We'll talk a little bit more about the upcoming Orioles series coming out coming up throughout the show, but I want to talk a little bit about not adding a bat during the trade deadline. Are you guys happy with just the addition of Carlos Guillen to the lineup, and will there be other hitters that have a bigger impact, say a Jeff Larish who's in AAA right now, now that the Tigers haven't acquired a bat? We'll start with Sean on that. Uh, as far as Jeff Larish, um, I think, if anything, um, he he will be a better trade ship than, than anything else. I don't see him coming up and making a, a huge impact, especially because you know he's not going to play first base because you got Miguel Cabrera, and he's a defensive liability in the outfield and at third base. And at, at DH, I mean, you got you got Carlos coming back and you've got Marcus Tem, so I don't really see Jeff Larish coming back and, and really adding any thump. Um, as far as not making any deals, than Adam Dunn or Josh Willingham, there wasn't anyone really out there. Well, maybe Luke Scott, just so he wouldn't kill us every time we play him. But other than the two nationals, there's no one that really got me excited to make a trade for. And so I'm, I would have liked to have seen a bat, but I'm okay sitting on our hands a little bit because you don't want to give away the farm at the same time because it would be great to go out and win this year. But you've got to think we still have a core of you know great pitchers, and uh, you got you got Avia and Ramirez and all these great hitters, and you still got Grandy and Cabrera that are young. You can't give away the farm because you still have to think about the future. So for me, I feel both ways, kind of. I would have liked to have seen a bat, but no one really got me too excited. That brings a great point up, Sean, and you look at a young prospect that could come up and maybe help the Tigers this year like Cameron Mabin did in the 2007 season, a guy like Wilkin Ramirez. Al, you think that Wilkin could have uh, any value to this team or that he might come down in the stretch? To be honest with you, uh, I really doubt it at this point. Uh, the, the Tigers are so log-jammed as it is in the outfield, uh, you know, between uh, Thomas, who did hit the game-winning home run tonight, you know, and then Guillen, who is, I, I'm not thrilled on his coming. I'm, I, I'm glad he's back. 
But I'm not expecting that much because he's essentially a platoon player at this point. He's a part-time player. He's under the bat left-handed. And uh, I saw a great comment about, uh, about uh, Guillen today. Didn't the Tigers learn anything from the Gary Sheffield era? Why put Guillen in the outfield where he's bound to get himself hurt again? So don't even get me going on that. So Ramirez, you know, I, he could make an impact maybe with uh, some speed, some power, that kind of thing. But I think it's an awful lot to ask of a rookie who's only had a cup of coffee in the, in the American League so far to make any kind of an impact at all during a pennant race. And the Tigers are in the middle of a pennant race. And, yes, I am very upset the Tigers didn't get a bat. I am the type of, you got to play for today. The Tigers have made the playoffs three times in 25 years. And I'm really afraid that with this offense as it stands now, it's going to be three times in 26 years. Well, it's been a struggle in August the last two years for the Detroit Tigers, 11-17 in 2008 and 11-18 and in 2007. Excuse me. Does this team have what it takes to get over the hump in August? Remember 2006 in the late months, it was a struggle too. We'll go to Greg with that. What's it going to take to get over that hump in August? Well, you know, I, I must, I guess, respectfully disagree a little bit with Sean. Uh, I, I'm not as okay with sitting on my hands. Uh, um, I've kind of been an advocate of sometimes you got to make moves just to make moves. And uh, Carlos Guillen coming back from an injury is not as much as the Tigers would like to um, paint it this way. Is not is not the equivalent of getting a bat at the trade deadline because. You know, he's still an unknown entity. He can't bat right-handed. Um, he hasn't been uh, really showing me uh, that he's still you know, that he's the Carlos Guillen of old anyway. Uh, Al made a good point about him playing in the field. Um, they're going to have to still score some runs. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I, this lineup, I, I just put it up against the White Sox lineup and the, the Twins lineup, and I look at the, the scores of the White Sox games against the Yankees and the scores that the Twins win by and uh, the Tigers just don't have that kind of pop. They don't have that kind of uh, firepower that they can win games seven to six, eight to seven, nine to eight, uh, which you have to do sometimes. You can't always win three to one. And uh, there's still time. They can still do it before August 31st, uh, albeit in the roundabout uh, non-waiver route. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the waiver route to get a guy. But uh, they're going to have to score runs. They're not going to win the division without scoring more runs. Period. You talk about the power numbers, and they're very similar average-wise to the Milwaukee Brewers, hitting the same average going into today's play. But the Brewers have almost 14 more doubles, and they've they've scored 14 more runs on the season. So those, there's an example of how the power lacks. Well, let's move on to the bullpen. The bullpen loses Joel Zumaya for the season. We talked about this a little bit in the past, but it is official now. We did expect it. Can he come back in 2010 is the question. But another question is, there's now a hole in the bullpen. Jerry Bonderman and Nate Robertson, they begin rehabbing today. Are they going to be in effect down the stretch now? We'll start with Sean. You say Nate Robertson rehabbing, and that the fact that he's rehabbing scares me more than him being on the DL. I would <laughs> Nate Robertson, to me, is, is a lost cause, and... He is, he's, uh, Dontrell Willis was slightly better control to me. I, I don't see him affecting us in any way down the stretch. Jeremy Bonderman is interesting because it depends on, it depends on which Jeremy Bonderman we get. Um, if we get a Jeremy Bonderman that can settle down and throw strikes and, you know, not walk, uh, three batters in inning, then yeah, I think he could come in and he might not be the greatest bullpen ship, but he could at least fill a small hole. Um, 
and uh, you know it just depends on. I know he's he's rehabbing in Toledo, so I, I'd I'd like to see the stats of of exactly what he's doing down there and see how he's doing. But I I'm interested actually to be to tell you the truth. I'm interested to see who he's going to be when he comes back. The reports are that he's throwing a little bit harder than 89 miles per hour like he did in that rehab start against the Chicago White Sox. You put him in a shorter role. He doesn't have to throw as many pitches. And, Greg, you think that's going to help a little bit? Maybe you can put a little bit more velocity on there, but it also comes down to that slider too, doesn't it? Well, it's going to come down to um, whether or not he can, uh, how quickly he can come uh, back uh, both physically and mentally. Um you know he's been like a cage lion for all these for all this time, and sometimes the the danger with these kinds of situations is a guy comes back and wants to come back so badly, wants to be a part of things so badly that you have to almost rein him back in again like he's a, like he's a mustang. Uh, and that's going to be the key is how they pace him. I'm not so much I don't I don't know that it's so much about velocity as it is about pacing and keeping him. And uh, just monitoring his progress so that because he's going to want to come out and really, you know, just go great guns. And I don't know that that's really in his best interest. They're going to have to watch him very closely. It's it's going to be an interesting. I'm really interested to see how this pans out because uh, uh, he's not a Willis type. He's not he's not uh, somebody who's trying to fight it mentally. I don't think he's just trying to get his whole you know uh, the whole persona back together and try to find himself both as a pitcher and as a and as a person, and I think that the way the, the Tigers handle it will be very interesting. There's always been this phenomenon in Tigers' talk of moving Bonderman into the pen and possibly making him a setup man or a closer. And Al, if that does happen, will it be successful? And does that give the Tigers an option to find another starter in 2010? Well, if you're reading my mind there. It's something I've been uh, definitely thinking about. Considering the uh, the closer in, supposed closer in waiting, Zumaya, I think at this point, uh, you, know, you could toss a coin if he's ever going to be a, uh, going to be an effective pitcher again. Uh, considering the money the Tigers have invested in Bonderman, I'm not so sure that they would want him in the bullpen. Just because, you know, that's an awfully highly paid closure you got. You know, a setup man closure you got there. Cause I, you know, Bonderman's making a nice chunk of change with that uh, extension he signed a couple of years ago. But I, I'm kind of well, there's a couple of things. I'm kind of leery of bringing him back so quickly this year. I mean, he the talent is there. We all know. We saw how well he pitched in 2006. That why risk bringing him back now? Just bring him back when he's fresh in uh, 2010. So I'm really up in the air when it comes to Bonderman. One, I know I I, I got my, I'm I'm the win now guy. So I'm, you're tempted to bring Bonderman back. See if he can help any way you can. And as you say, maybe if he does well at the bullpen, maybe you've solved a closer problem for next year. Because obviously, I don't think Rodney's coming back because him being a free agent at the end of the season. But on the other hand, do you really want to risk his his shoulder, his health, you know, over a short term? Because as you say, he could he might want to cut it loose when he comes when he comes back, and it, it's really uh, the Tigers are kind of in a rock and a hard place here with Bond. I mean, you know, he could solve some problems, but there could cause more if they end up ruining him. So, you know, if I really had to think about if you're going to make him in the bullpen. Have him prepare for it next year. Have him work on the offseason to do it and bring him in 2010 and then put him in the bullpen and just let him recover this season. 
Well, speaking of upcoming free agent Fernando Rodney, he blew his first save of the year against the Cleveland Indians. Now 21 for 22 on the year. He has a 1 point, or 0.183 average against winning save situations and just a 0.259 average in all other times he's on the mound. Is Rodney now considered a, at least a solidified reliever or does he still have to prove himself down now in the second half? We'll start with Sean. He is going to have to prove himself every single time he takes the ball for me. Uh, if you've ever uh, read anything that I've ever written, I'm not a huge Fernando Rodney fan. Um, but, I, I mean, I have to give it to him. Um, he's, he's definitely held his own this year. I was actually, I mean, in a very strange way, uh, when he blew the save the other day, I was actually kind of relieved to see that because I feel, I feel like he was like a boiling pot that was just about to overflow. And I knew it was going to come sooner or later. I'm, you know, I'm not upset that it happened against... Uh, you know, the Indians who are just a terrible ball club right now. And I, I think maybe it put a spark in him because he looked, looked, he looked great tonight. Um, and I'm hoping that he can take that momentum and, you know, uh, use the Justin Verliner effect and just use it to, to fuel his fire every time he goes out. I think you use a great analogy there, Sean. A boiling pot is what it did like look like. One of the questions I have was this, does this lead to him boiling over after that blown save or does it help him out? We'll go to Greg with that. Well, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna blow saves. I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, even the, the it's very unusual for a guy to go through an entire season. I mean, it happens, but it's unusual for a guy to go through an entire season without blowing one. Um, but again, a one-run lead, very slim, if any, margin for error there in that save situation because of the Tigers' uh, ineptitude offensively. So, um, you know, a lead-off triple, and you know that happens. You know, I don't think it really affects him one way or the other. I, I, I really think that, um, if anything, maybe it kind of takes that, if he pays attention to those kinds of things, uh, that maybe it takes that kind of burden off of him. I don't know if he pays attention to that kind of stuff or not. Uh, he may not even have known that he had that, that, he had that kind of a streak going. I don't know. But uh, I don't think it affects him uh, one way or the other. But I agree with Sean, though, that having said that, that Fernando Rodney is going to have to and that's just part of it. That's part of the deal too, as a closer. Is he's going to have to do it more than just this one year. He's having a very good year, but uh, these things, you know, these these things can come and go. Nobody really thought that he was going to have this kind of a year. So let's just say we expect him to have that kind of a year again, and he doesn't. So we'll have to see. Well, for the Detroit Tigers, they lose two out of three in Cleveland. A tough, tough road trip. They didn't win very many ball games in it. Al, they start off against Baltimore tonight. And last night, excuse me, they win it big, a big walk-off home run. Is this more encouraging? Or is this one of those situations where, okay, they got the offense going this time? Yeah, I think it's – I'm not awfully encouraged, you know, because – this is good. This is. I have a feeling this is going to be the Tigers team we're going to see the rest of the year because that's how they've been all season. They're Jekyll and Hyde. They're great at home, awful on the road. Uh, for whatever reason, they seem to, the bats seem to come alive at Comerica. Whenever they go on the road, they just, you know, the, it's like they fold up the tents. I really can't explain the phenomenon, but whatever it is, the Tigers got to get out of this uh, road funk because they cannot have another month like they just had in July and expect to. Win a division. They just, they just can't. You do have to play, you know, you win half your games on the road if at all possible. At least be competitive. And a lot of it does come down again to them not having a bat. They get one hit with runners in scoring position on Friday, and they take two out of three of that series, and we're not having this discussion. So 
am I encouraged? Maybe a little bit because I know they play. They'll play well at home, but they got a lot to prove to me whenever they go on the road yet. Well, Sean, a four-game series against the Baltimore Orioles at home. Jared Washburn on the mound later today. What do you expect from him in his first start with the Tigers? Uh, well, I expect uh, the Jared Washburn that uh, we've come to know, and hopefully the Jared Washburn that we saw earlier this year when he pitched against us. But I, I expect him to uh, come to the um, not throw very hard, get a lot of ground balls. And, you know, the thing is, I, I was uh, – America, in terms of being a hitter's park, is a lot like Safeco. Um, I think statistically they're something like 12th and 15th in a run scored this year, so they're they're right by each other. So I'm hoping that he uses just the dimensions of uh, Comerica um, and feels very comfortable there and just pitches the same way he did in Seattle this entire year. Greg, looking ahead to the Baltimore series after that, Minnesota, how key are these next three games for the Tigers? Well, they're very key. Uh, you know, as as much as we really can't explain the phenomena of being very good at home and very bad on the road, uh, the fact of the matter is uh, they're at home now. And so that's, we're expecting them to win a lot of home games. I mean, that's kind of the good part of that whole equation is that, well, now that they're home, you feel better about them. But well, they're very big because, um, you know, the Twins are just, I just don't trust them. I, I, I still think there's a big run left in these guys. I'm talking about the Twins now. Uh, I just don't trust the Twins. I never have. They're a very good second-half team, much better than the Tigers have ever been. And uh, you got to beat the teams that are scuffling. you got to beat the, the last-place teams, especially in your own ballpark. Uh, uh, you know, you got to take three out of four uh, against these kinds of teams. Um, you just have to, and that's what, that's what good teams do. Teams that win divisions beat up on the, on the weaker sisters. Uh, that's just the way it is. And um, a split is not acceptable. you got to take three out of four. This is a very the, the way that they won um, Monday night's game was very encouraging because of um, coming back from down five nothing, very encouraging. However, we've seen this before. Uh, you got to do it uh, more consistently. But maybe it's a sign. I mean, you know, maybe it's a little home cooking. Uh, make some hay in these seven games. Win four or five of them, and um, you know, try to use that as a springboard. Sean Hybor of TroubleInMichigan.com, Greg Eno of GregEno.com, and Al Beaton of the Wayne Fonts Experience at WayneFonts.com. Guys, thank you for joining me this week, and we look forward to hearing from you later throughout the season. Thanks again, Joe. Appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Greg Eno over at GregEno.com, Sean Hybor of TrumbleInMichigan.com, and Al Beaton of the Wayne Fonts Experience at WayneFonts.com, kind enough to join us for this roundtable. When we come back on this week of Detroit Tigers baseball, we'll take a look back to August 10th, 1966, when Tigers manager Chuck Dressen passed away. We got that coming up next and more. You're listening to this week in Detroit Tigers baseball. Turn off that TV. Kill those offline radio programs, too. Because the only place to be for football season is the Fantasy Sports Channel. Every Thursday night, we'll bring you the most powerful primetime lineup in the history of fantasy sportscasting. It's Must Stream Thursdays. Each week from 6 p.m. Eastern to midnight, seven of the biggest names in fantasy football, including... Dustin Ashby, John Hanson, Scott Engel, Lyle Conkeel, Kevin Moore. 
Cecil Lammy, and Sigmund Bloom serve up the expert analysis you need for league domination. Six back-to-back hours that promise to rush you to the top of your game faster than you can say Adrian Peterson. The Fantasy Sports Channel, only on Blog Talk Radio. It's a schedule you can bet on. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I don't know how to talk like a parent. Don't make me come back there. You see what I mean? It's pretty awful. Try it again. Don't make me come back there. Now that's pretty good. That one kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to put up with you. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. Here's Robert Fitt, another man who's counted out in the future, wearing Norm Cash's number 25. Remember, Al told him he'd hit a home run today. Oh, Four World Series championships, 20 Hall of Famers, and in existence since 1901. We wear the Old English D proudly since 1904 because it is our heritage. It's time for this week in Detroit Tigers history on MotorCityBengals.com. Welcome back to This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, episode number six. For This Week in Detroit Tigers history, we look to the beginning of August in 1966, where the Detroit Tigers had a manager carousel, and none of the hirings had to do with wins or losses. Chuck Dressen started off as the manager of the Detroit Tigers in 1966 after being successful with the Brooklyn Dodgers. In 1965, as the Tigers manager, Chuck Dressen suffered his first heart attack in spring training and then returned after three months off of service. But on May 16, 1966, he suffered a second heart attack and died on August 10th. Dressen's replacement was former coach Bob Swift, who is best known for being in one of Major League Baseball's most famous pictures. It goes back to 1951 when the Detroit Tigers catcher and his pitcher faced the smallest hitter in baseball history. The St. Louis Browns owner Bill Veck sent midget Eddie Goodell to the mound to pinch hit during an actual Major League Baseball game. Goodell was only 3 foot 7 inches, and you can look it up, Goodell was allowed to bat when the Browns showed the umpires a legitimate baseball contract. Swift would eventually be diagnosed with lung cancer in the 1966 season and be replaced by Frank Scaff. Despite losing two managers in the 1966 season, the Detroit Tigers fought to the end in the American League and would finish third with an 88-74 record. Manager Mayo Smith was hired for the 1967 campaign and almost came away with American League pennant his first year in the Old English D. In 1968, he would lead the Tigers to a World Series championship. It's always interesting to ponder what would have happened in the 1968 season if Chuck Dressen wouldn't have passed away in 1966. He still probably would be the Detroit Tigers manager, and who knows if he would have led him to the World Series, but that one move in 1968 made by Mayo Smith that put Mickey Stanley at shortstop replacing Ray Euler would have probably never happened. When we come back on this week in Detroit Tigers baseball episode number 6, we'll take a look at the upcoming schedule and then wrap things up for this week in Detroit Tigers baseball on the fan-sided network. It's Minner at the 30. He's to the 20. Cuts outside at the 15. Minner to the 10. Minner to the 5. Touchdown! 
I don't care if he's slash, dash, double, or trouble. D'Angelo Williams has the goods to play in the National Football League. Blanker right, split and left. DeLone on a handoff up the middle. D'Angelo Williams first into the clear and takes it to the house for a score. It's the show that's all about your Carolina Panthers. Catch the great debate, the interview, and much, much more, including interviews and opinion. It's the best Carolina Panthers podcast alive. Catch it at catcraveradio.com. It's time to wrap things up on episode number six of this week, Detroit Tigers baseball. Let's take a look at the upcoming schedule for the Detroit Tigers. Tonight, the Tigers will take on the Orioles in game number two of a four-game series. Action gets underway at 7.05 from Comerica Park. New Tiger Jared Washburn will be on the mound. He's 8-6 with a 2.64 ERA. Brian Matus will go for the Orioles. He'll make his first start and his young career. Going on Wednesday, Jeremy Guthrie for the Baltimore Orioles. He's 7-10 on the year, as well as Edwin Jackson for the Tigers. 7-5, 2.64 ERA. That game gets underway at 7.05. And then to close out the four-game series on Thursday, David Hernandez goes for the Orioles. And going for the Tigers, Rick Porcello. That game gets underway at 1.05 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday. The weekend starts off a very important series for the Tigers. Starting on Friday, August 7th, they'll take on the Minnesota Twins. Anthony Swarzak on the mound for the Twins. Going for the Tigers, trying to redeem his worst start in his career, will be Armando Galarraga. Well, that's going to wrap up another edition of This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. I'd like to extend my thanks to Mike Maroth for joining us on the program. Such a gracious guy to come on and talk about his career with the Detroit Tigers. I'd also like to thank our panelists for this week, Sean Hybor of TrumbleInMichigan.com, L. Beaton of the Wayne Fonts Experience, WayneFonts.com, and Greg Eno at GregEno.com. Check out all their content. They care about their Tigers and their Detroit sports. Do you want to get a hold of the show or do you just have feedback for this episode? Feel free to contact us at MotorCityBengals at gmail.com. That's our email address. You can contact us through Twitter as well, twitter.com slash TWIDTB. And we also have a voicemail line, 231-683-1367. We'd love to hear from you. Well, that's going to wrap up episode number six of this week in Detroit Tigers baseball. Have a safe and great week. and Go Tigers! It was great to be a Tiger fan with a Georgia Peach and Wahoo Sam. They won the pennant three years in a row. Then Heilman led the squad, adding titles in years that were odd. Brick Stadium always had a hitting show. I'm talking baby.